I'm here today with Amy Julia Becker. Amy Julia is an award-winning writer and speaker on personal, spiritual, and social healing. She's the author of four books, including White Picket Fences and A Good and Perfect Gift. Her new book, To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope, releases on March 15th. Amy Julia hosts the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. She's a graduate of Princeton University and Princeton Theological Seminary and holds a bivocational license with the Evangelical Covenant Church. She lives with her husband and their three children in Western Connecticut. I also need to thank Amy Julia for speaking at several of our conferences and contributing to our book, How to Heal Our Divides. So you can learn more at amyjuliabecker.com. So Amy Julia, as always, it's such a pleasure to collaborate. It's so good to see you and uh, so excited about your new book. Thank you, Brian. I always love talking with you as well. <laughs> so um, I'd love for you to share with folks a little bit more about your background than what I briefly touched on. Sure. Um, yeah, so I have been writing now, gosh, for a long time. I uh, started off um, after college going to uh, working in a parachurch ministry with um, students who are in independent schools. And then from there, uh, went to Princeton Seminary. But while I was in Princeton Seminary, I started writing and that kind of diverged me. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure the grammar of that sentence, but I, um, I got on a different track where I started writing and also had our um, first child, Penny, who has Down syndrome. And so the thinking and understanding about disability became a major part of my life um, and my faith as well. And so I started writing really about like family, faith and disability, which was that uh, first book you mentioned, A Good and Perfect Gift. And we went on to have two more kids and um, continued. Actually, my husband um, has been working in an independent boarding school for uh, really that whole period of time. So still also interacting with high school students. And then um, I kept writing and kept writing. And then, uh, let's see, have moved to Connecticut in the meantime and have continued. Penny's now 16, uh, but have continued to be really interested in what does it mean to be human? What does it mean for us to actually live in relationships of mutual giving and receiving? Um, and what does it look like to heal? I, I think that's, it's been actually relevant to me for a number of years, but especially these past couple of years between COVID on the personal level and the global level, and then also just seeing what's been happening in our country when it comes to politics and racial divisions and other social divisions. I've really been interested in, um, especially like spiritual practices that we might have that would help us um, to heal as a nation. Well, uh, as you know, both of us share a great interest in, you know, healing the divides. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Amy Julia contributed to our, our book on that topic. And, uh, you know, I was thrilled when I saw that you were writing this book, you know, mm. coming out with this book, you know, because it's on the same, same theme, similar theme. So, um, but what made it motivated you to write this book? Yeah, you know, so it is interesting. It really started, I think it was seven years ago. So, you know, long before I had written White Picket Fences, hmm. even, which is wow. my previous book. Um, I, we had moved to Connecticut a couple years earlier with three small children. And over the course of the move, I at some point developed a low, lower back pain, like literally just physical pain that grew. And it, over the course of a couple of years, grew into every night in the middle of the night, I would wake up and take an Advil. Mm. And I was stretching and I was doing yoga and I was strengthening my core and I was getting massages, you know, like all these things and it wasn't getting any better. 
And so I finally sat down and met with a yoga practitioner named Anne. And I said, look, I think I've got something wrong with my alignment. And she said, you know, anytime I hear someone say they've got something wrong with their alignment, I think the problem is in your brain, not in your body. Wow. Um, and I was like, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> but what was so interesting was she said that and I just started talking. We did not move off the yoga mat. Like I literally did not do one yoga pose unless sitting cross-legged. I'm sure there's some name for that. That's a yoga pose. But I just talked. And over the course of our conversation, um, I really did experience what felt like a miraculous healing of my mm. back because mm. it had hurt when I sat down, my tailbone as well. And over the course of that um, experience of talking with her, and I was kind of embarrassed almost, like I was like, what just happened? I thought I was, you know, it's been years. And so I said to her at the end of it, I was like, I feel kind of bashful saying this, but like my back seems to be all better. And she said, you know, you are connecting your mind and your body. And I said, yeah, but nothing in my life has changed. <laughs> everything that is wrong with my life is still wrong with it. All that's happened <laughs> is my back feels better. And she said, you know, you don't need to have everything figured out in order for healing to begin. You just need to acknowledge the source of the pain. Hmm. And those words were so wise and profound. Wow. And obviously they were coming outside of my faith tradition. Uh, Anne grew up Catholic, but she's not a practicing Christian and just has a lot of wisdom. And, and yet I was really interested from that in what does my understanding of Jesus as a healer, which I would want to have as a Christian, but I didn't really. And so I started exploring and that just led me not only into thinking about Jesus's role as a healer when it comes to things like back pain, but honestly much more when it comes to emotional pain, to spiritual pain, and then to the social divisions. And, you know, we often use the language of wounding and healing. I mean, look at the you know name of how to heal our divides. And so it was a big exploration of all of those topics that um, began as something really personal, took a long time for me to really kind of work out what I thought I might have to offer, and then to put into book form. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't it kind of bizarre how books take shape? Yes. You know, and how long that... they take to take shape. <laughs> <laughs> well, in ways that are so completely unexpected, too. You know, it's kind of one of the more interesting aspects for me. Yeah, totally. I, um, yeah, I, this book has changed over time. I have an outline on my wall um, that I look at sometimes and I think, gosh, that was what I thought this book was going to be. <laughs> something totally different, you wow. know. So, yes, that often happens where chapters get rearranged or whole ideas get thrown out or inserted. And even once the book is written, I feel like I learned so much um, that, you know, didn't even make it in there. <laughs> So you start the book describing an eating-related illness that mm. you had when you were young. Yeah. Um, you know, since you've written several books now um, that delve into very personal experiences, do you feel it's become easier for you to write about such things? Yeah, you know, I, it's true. I have always written from my experience. So, you know, writing about being, um, not just being a mother of a child with a disability, but actually being a young mother who was not prepared to receive a child with a disability and really facing some grief and ugliness within my own soul, right? And um, and then writing about the, my failures as a mother, uh, which is my book, Small Talk, and then also um, in White Picket Fences about being a white person who is reckoning with the idea of privilege, right? Like all of those things. Um, so yes, I do think that's gotten easier in part because... 
I do think, um, you know, there are people who say, write your scars and not your wounds. And I think that's a good um, way to think about it that until, and that's probably why this book took me seven years to write, because if I had tried to write about it immediately after that healing experience with Anne, I wouldn't have known what to say. Like it was still so fresh. Um, But I also think that over time, what I have found is that the um, connection to other people and if I am willing to be vulnerable, that invites other people to be vulnerable and that can, can really lead to healing. And I think it opens us up to love. And I'm so grateful for that, that it has felt like this is, I, I was really worried when I wrote White Picket Fences because of the topics of like race, class, social division, privilege. Um, I developed an eye twitch, literally, like afraid that people, I kind of realized that it was a fear thing. Um, I was afraid that people were going to like throw things at me, probably (laughs) words, not tomatoes, but you never know. Um, But instead, what I found in putting that book out into the world was this incredibly diverse array of people who were like, finally, someone's talking about it. And you're saying the things that I was afraid to admit. And you're, you know, so I think I have gotten to a place of, um, I mean, it still feels vulnerable and that can be hard, but mostly it's rewarding. Just like it's a sense of I'm getting to connect on this human level with other people. And sometimes what I say is really helpful to them, but that's also really helpful to me. So it's ended up, yeah, I, I do think I've just become more comfortable with it. <laughs> well, you seem to be. I mean, that, which is really wonderful that you're mm, so you. adept at sharing such things. Um, mm. It's not easy for all of us, that's for sure. <laughs> So yeah. um, the, the book is organized into three sections. The first is the nature of healing. The second mm-hmm. is barriers to healing. And the third, participation in healing. Can you talk about why you chose that structure? Yes. I mean, this goes back to my, you know, failed outline on the wall. <laughs> but, um, but over t- so the framework for the book is a passage from Mark chapter five. And it's a story that may be familiar to some people where Jesus is um, in a crowd of people and a man named Jairus comes up to him and says, my daughter is dying. Will you come and help? And so Jesus starts walking with Jairus through the crowd. And while he's doing that, he feels power leave his body. And we learn that a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years has reached out and touched his garment and she has received healing from this bleeding. That could be the end of the story, but actually Jesus says, who touched me? The woman comes up finally to talk to him. They have this whole exchange that seems to take a while because then the servants of Jairus come to him and they say, "It's you're done. The, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Um, and Jesus c- continues later with Jairus to his house and heals his daughter. So there are these two healing stories of these very, very different characters. And I... um really wanted to use a biblical story to think about healing uh, and just return to that one again and again and again. And over time, it seemed to me that the first thing I needed to understand is personally, and hopefully for readers, is like, what is healing? What is it to Jesus? What is it in our day now? Is this just, uh, you know, is Jesus just a um, pre-modern version of Advil and surgery? Um, or is there something more going on here? And so looking at the idea of holistic healing, mind, body, and spirit, healing in relation not only to our bodies, but to our emotions, to God, and to one another. So that's really the, that idea of the nature of healing. We need to know what we're talking about first. But then, okay, well, even if we do know about it, 
what keeps us from that? Um, what keeps, why are we still a people, even with all of our medical advances, with chronic pain and chronic depression and so much that has been just so hard in terms of the political divisions as well? So that's really what that uh, barriers to healing is about. And it's not saying if you overcome these barriers, then you will feel better. Um, it's <laughs> certainly a sense of God is right there in the midst of all of the things that keep us from healing. And yet naming them and identifying them can also help us uh, to be people who are receiving the healing that I believe God still wants to give us. And then finally, that idea of participation in healing, um, at the very end of Jesus's time with this woman, he says to her, um, first he says, your faith has healed you. So there is a sense of her own participation in the work that he has done. Uh, it's kind of a weird statement because we're like, no, no, your power healed her. <laughs> and he says, your faith has healed you, right? So there's some sense of participation in the personal healing. But then he also says, go in peace. Like he sends her out in the Jewish concept of shalom to bring the healing that she has received into her community. And so I wanted to also end the book with a sense of being sent out again into our own lives and our own healing, but also into our communities as agents of healing um, where we can see that actually grow and expand from, you know, these kind of little encounters and who we are, but to a bigger, to a bigger work. Well, again, so consistent with the theme of how to heal our divides, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. the whole purpose is participation, you yeah. know, and opportunities to heal in various ways. So, you know, I just love that you're expanding on that, you know, uh, that theme. Thank you. <laughs> so um, I'd like to read an endorsement from David Bailey, founder of mm -hmm. Arabon, and another one of the contributors to our How to Heal Our Divides. He writes about your book. Amy yeah. Juliet Becker is a brilliant writer who has masterfully explored the complex and sensitive topic of healing in a vulnerable, sobering, and comprehensive way. Whether sickness is in our body, our soul, or society, whether we are presently ill, recovering from illness, or on the way to being ill, this book will better equip you both for your journey in the healing process and to be an agent of healing. Can you talk about how you address the healing, the issue of healing so comprehensively? Mm. Yeah, so it really is looking at the idea of being um, kind of restored to yourself, uh, that sense of what does it mean to have an integrated mind, body, and spirit, and being restored to God, um, and then being restored to other people. And so there is uh, a sense of alienation and disconnection that I think is associated with both physical illness and some of the things that cause pain in our lives, like loneliness or division, right? So you can think of that both on a um, very physical or emotional or spiritual way. When we're in a relationship and there's been a fight and we are not forgiving one another, there's alienation. When your back hurts and you can't pick your kid up anymore, there's alienation, right? I mean, so again, there's, and we saw that with COVID where on the one hand, this illness would literally be physically isolating people from one another when they were sick, but also it was something that isolated us from one another uh, in terms of what we needed to do, even, you know, to kind of prevent the spread of this illness or over time, people got isolated because they became lonely. So just these ways of drawing apart and being separated um, and seeing healing as a putting back together, um, piecing us back together within ourselves and within our communities. And that's one of the reasons, again, that I think looking back at these stories from the Gospels, 
it might be easy to think they didn't have hospitals, they didn't have doctors. That's the only thing that Jesus was doing. But then when we look more closely, we see Jesus is always bringing people into a right relationship with God and with one another. So he sends them back to the priest so that they can worship in the temple again. He publicly announces that this woman has been made well so that she can be received by her community again. When the widow of Nain's son has died, it says Jesus returned the son to his mother. There's a family that has been restored. So there's constantly this sense of healing that is much more than a bodily event and has a lot more to do, it seems, with what it means to be in communion with God and with yourself and with one another. Hmm. Very cool. So um, if there was one thing you wanted people to take away from the book, what would it be? You know, that's a great question. I think there's a, I think there's a line in the book that says this, um, that healing is for each of us and for all of us. And what I mean by that is that there is like a particularity to the healing that each of us needs, but also that we are each invited in our different bodies, in our different minds, in our different spirits, in our different communities. We are all invited into healing. It doesn't look the same. Um, I mean, one of the foreword for the book is written by a woman named Catherine Wolf, who um, had a major stroke 13 years ago and uses a wheelchair and um, lives with multiple disabilities and yet has also experienced healing in her life, both physically and in other ways in those 13 years. So again, not looking at healing in terms of um, all of us becoming, you know, superheroes in our bodies, <laughs> but um so it's for each of us, but it's also for all of us. And that's why I love this story of Jairus and the bleeding woman, that you've got this man who is powerful and has a name and has a house and has a family um, and, quite frankly, might see himself as someone with not much need for Jesus. And you've got this woman who's desperate and poor and nameless and outcast. They both need healing and so it's for each of us and it's for all of us that would be my kind of big big picture takeaway that i'd want people to know very cool very cool so um as you know a lot of our audience are writers so i want to ask you you know a few different questions on that yeah. uh, dimension of this um so you know mention a couple of the books that you had written earlier white picket fences and uh, the one about penny and without trying to be over dramatic for me those are kind of like groundbreaking books hmm. um and for white picket fences, I know that you pre-pandemic and probably during the pandemic, but on Zoom, you were invited to a lot of different like book discussion groups or churches mm -hmm. or what have you to talk about that and help other people kind of unpack their own privilege. Um, so has that continued? I mean, are you kind of doing two books in, or multiple books in parallel now in terms of your speaking? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, this book, even though, you know, if you put them on a shelf and you'd put white picket fences in kind of the like race and privilege section and you'd put to be made well in like the spiritual self-help section or something, I see them as very linked to one another <laughs> because of this question of um, social healing and what it means to um, be beloved, honestly. Like that's a really important aspect to both books. So for me, I think it's easy to continue to speak on the themes of White Picket Fences while I'm also speaking about To Be Made Well. Uh, but it's interesting, like even just this past week, I had a conversation at our church 
um, around the book Dear White Peacemakers by Oshita mm -hmm. Moore, which mm -hmm. is another book that I really have appreciated and just went for a walk today with a friend who was at that talk, you know, just to talk about like, what does this look like in our community? What would it look like for us to continue to be doing peacemaking work? Um, you know, as white women who are living out in the country in Connecticut, you know, so yes, I am still and, and honestly, I mean, if someone wanted me to, I used to give a talk about identity and ability related to my book about uh, Penny, that I think is still really relevant to today. Even the story of the bleeding woman is a book like I started really meditating on that with my book, Small Talk, many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are these threads that have gotten pulled and like woven together over the course of all of these books, even though they seem like they're on different topics. And in, in my experience of them, there's been a, a linking together, which means that I really feel like I'm still, I guess, engaging with the topics in all of the different books, even if it's kind of like, and here's the next, you know, turn the kaleidoscope, right? <laughs> it's like all the same pieces, but it looks a little bit different now. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, as you know, with COVID in terms of um, we're just coming into that place of people being willing to put events on the calendar and invite speakers to come in person. And I've also learned that I really am happy to speak from my office. <laughs> so, so anyway, so we'll see what this next, you know, couple of months and even potentially year holds as far as speaking, but I'd be happy to speak about both. Yeah. Well, I encourage you know, people out there to try to get Amy and Julia to come talk to your group because you'll not be disappointed <laughs> at <Gosh>. all. <laughs> but, you know, kind of on the note of, you know, marketing, so to speak, um, yeah. you know, you began um, a few years ago now when you first got started, you first were a big blogger. Um, but the nature of book marketing has changed yeah. pretty dramatically over that period of time. Mm -hmm. What do you see now as your most important marketing tools? Hmm, that's a great question. So, yes, things have really changed, and it took me a while to catch up with that shift from blogging to social media. And to do that with integrity, right? Like to be like, yeah, I'm actually not a mommy blogger. And um, people might think that I am. I'm writing a lot about my kids. So that would be very reasonable. Um, and similarly, I think on Instagram, it would be easy uh, for me to just put up photos that are kind of um, sweet and funny or cute or kind. I mean, all good things that would not really be reflective of the type of thinking that I'm doing and what I think I actually have to offer in a different way than other people. And so it took me a while to figure that out. I think now, so now even on Instagram, which is obviously like kind of a photo based platform, if you look at my Instagram feed, there are a lot of words, you know, they're, they're pictured as an image, but there's still a lot of words because that is so much of what I have to offer. And I do write about our family, but I really try to have a balance between posts and thoughts that are um, reflections on what's going on in the news, thoughts about what's uh, going on in my own relationship with God, or, you know, when it comes to these different topics of healing or social justice or disability. So the, I would say Instagram is probably the place where I have them. I've seen the most growth hmm. and, um, built the most community over the past year or so. Um, you know, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and try to be engaged there, but it's 
hard to do it all. And then um, I, you know, I've had a podcast which um, has actually been kind of fruitful in ways that surprised me. I thought it would be, I do have like a, you know, hundreds of weekly listeners who are very um, committed and faithful, but it's also been this wonderful gift for me as a place to connect with other writers and thinkers who I've interviewed and to begin to forge some sort of friendships and partnerships because it's so often someone who I'm like, I really loved your book or your article or your movie and I get to connect with you on that. So I've actually felt like I've really, um, especially in this time of not going to conferences in person and not meeting people in person, I've been able to have these like substantial conversations with people. Um, And so it's been a wonderful way I mean, I guess I could call it networking, like some of the endorsements on the book are people I haven't met in person. I met through my podcast, but I really count them as friends because (laughs) it's been such a great exchange of ideas and a sense of really wanting um, to be doing similar work in the world. So that, I don't know if that's been great marketing. It certainly has not been this like booming tens of thousands of downloads or something like that. But it's been a wonderful gift for my own thought development, but also in making connections with people. Well, I couldn't agree with that morning with Julian. That's exactly what this, you know, series of book launch interviews. Yeah. Like this one has done for me. It's allowed me to establish relationships with people that I never knew before and yeah. have, you know, meaningful conversations on meaningful topics. And it's a win-win kind of a situation because it, 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 it builds exposure for authors introducing new books. And it provides nourishment for the audiences that I serve. So, you know, what's not to like about that? (laughs) And, you know, when I was at the Wild Goose Festival this last September, that was like the only in-person event. It was outside and everyone was vaccinated and everything. But that was the only in-person event that I have attended the last two years. And there were so many people there who I had collaborated with in one, you know, uh, form or another, including people that wrote books or wrote chapters in the how to heal or device book that I'd never met before in person. And they were all there at this event. So, you know, um, I think the, the importance of, of building, you know, strong relationships um, and collaborative relationships through means like this cannot be underestimated. I totally agree. And it has really been like, uh, it's fun because it's a mutual blessing, right? Like, I mean, so again, I, you can talk about it in terms of marketing, but you can also just talk about it in terms of the, um, I don't know, just the delight of being able to do this work and of getting to be in partnership with other people. I think writing can be a kind of an isolated work or feel that way, solitary. And yet there is a sense of if I'm contributing alongside all these other people and what, what can I do to elevate the voices of the people who I'm listening to or benefiting from um, and being able to do that, whether that's, you know, just by like sharing a post on a social media platform or connecting through an interview. Um, there's, there is like a mutual benefit that comes from that. And I'm really grateful for it. No question. And, and uh, I feel like that's part of the way that I got myself through the pandemic. Yeah, was because I was able to spend so much time having these incredibly wonderful conversations with smart, caring people online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. So um, what kind of advice would you have, you know, given everything that you've done for new authors that are just getting started today? <laughs> yeah, gosh, it's it is so interesting because I 
have, I feel like, made lots of mistakes that I've learned from or just had opportunities where I've thought, oh, now that I'm three years in, I would do that really differently. And okay, I will, but I wish I'd known that back then. Um, I will say that figuring out like who I am and what I have to offer instead of modeling myself after someone who looks somewhat like me and has been more successful, like numbers wise, you know, like that was just really important for me. And I just think it's so tempting to chase the numbers. Um, And yet once I finally did, um, and I know you do some work with uh, people on this, but once I finally did some work to really say, what is at the core of what I'm writing about? And it really is about what does it mean to be human, to be beloved, to be someone who's both gifted and vulnerable, to see that in everyone else and to um, pursue healing to that end that we might draw forth who we are in such a way that it's a blessing to us and to others. Once I started to see that and say, okay, so what do I write about? I write about disability. I write about God. I'm not able to get away from that. Um, I write about healing. I write about family. And I literally laid out and said, okay, every week I'm going to try to cover at least most of these topics. And it it started to give me just a framework for what I was doing that really felt like it was flowing out of me instead of being imposed upon me. Um, Because if somebody said to me, you know what, it's time for something funny and cute, it would be like, that's just not who I am. Like occasionally, occasionally there might be something funny or cute, but only if it's actually from me, it's not imposed on me. So I do think that sense of like organic growth, I guess, is the way I think about it, where it is, um, it's still cultivated, like an organic garden would be, you don't just let the weeds grow and not, you know, just like scatter the seeds, see what happens, you know, (laughs) you're still cultivating, but you're also not like spraying miracle grow on those seeds and having like, you know, mammoth plants grow immediately. So it's like a slow and steady um, organic growth is what has really been I just keep returning to that. And again, it takes so much time, but over time, the richness and depth of the relationships that have grown from that, both in terms of readers and seeing the impact in their lives of participating in a conversation with me, with my books, with my speaking, or with just the community of people who are talking about these things, that's been really rich. Um, And then I also would say that the... The other advice I would give, which I have not kind of achieved for myself, but for writers who are doing more um, work that is in the especially kind of thoughtful, reflective, not quite as commercially viable realm, <laughs> um, being I've tethered to an institution, being connected to, you know, whether it's a school or a church or a think tank or an institute or even like a conference that has a you know, or a podcast or a magazine, any of those, but having some sort of relational um, commitment to and with an institution, I think is a way to be able uh, to keep going without your, you know, Instagram numbers flying off, you know, the charts um, to have that type of institutional support. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm really glad to hear, you know, you're saying about kind of trying to figure yourself out so to speak kind of who you are as a writer i mean and, and you're right in the business of being a spiritual writer class that i teach that's like the most important thing i try to hit home with folks mm-hmm. it's like what do you want to be known for who are you trying to serve and how are you trying to serve them i mean answering those kinds of questions very clearly and succinctly 
is incredibly important because all the tactical stuff that you want to do after that, whether it's Instagram or email or whatever else, right. won't work right, <laughs> you know, unless you really nail the first strategic part of it. Yeah. So I'm glad you, you know, feel that way too. Well, and it's a harder exercise than it seems like it should be. I remember when a friend first asked me, like, what do you want to be known for? And we kind of listed other people and like, oh, yeah, that's the Enneagram person or that's the, you know, writing person or that's the, um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I could list like 10 different things. And so what is it and what holds them all together and how do I, um, where do I want to land? And I, I think it's a, hard, yeah, it's a harder exercise, but it's really, yeah. really helpful to go through that. Yeah, yeah. And and it's harder for people that have got a diversity of skills and a diversity of interest. It really is. <laughs> right? Because you kind of spread your cross. It's easy to spread yourself across yeah. multiple topics and do well at them. Yeah. But from a marketing perspective, it gets tougher because yeah. people can't clarify in a very succinct way in their own mind who exactly this person is or what's their area of focus. Yep. So it's, it's you know, it's not it's in some ways, it's not a right or wrong kind of a thing. It's a choice. But, you know, um, from a clarity perspective, a marketing perspective, a messaging perspective, it's, it's clear that having a, a more specific focus is helpful in that regard. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it helps you know yourself and it helps other people know you. I'm, I'm still not, I don't think, great on this point um, in the sense that I still am like, but I want to write about faith and I want to write about family and I want to write about disability and I want to write about healing. Um, but I do think that sense of like our common humanity and our common brokenness and the healing, right? Like those are all linked together to sure, me. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I know you're just right in the throes of introducing a new book, but yeah. I have to ask, is there anything on the horizon that you're able to talk about at all yet? Oh, that's a great question. There's actually, I mean, there are lots of ideas, but there is nothing that I am um, working on yet. So I wrote an article for Plow Quarterly that came out, I guess, in December about um, love and Down syndrome and the meritocracy. Hmm. And that's kind of a series of ideas that I am like flirting with exploring, um, have not, you know, gotten anywhere close to like a book proposal, but I've kind of thought, huh, I wonder if I could do something more with this. Um, and then I also actually have had a lot of continuing thoughts about healing in kind of finishing this book. But I also, I did a Bible study at church on healing stories that just led to a lot of different thoughts. So I've thought about, again, um, you know, a book that was about practicing healing. Like mm -hmm. what is that actually, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's through physical touch or through rest or through hospitality, these kind of different aspects of healing. So um, yeah, none of these are things that I've actually developed beyond what I just told you, but, <laughs> um, but they're on my mind. And so maybe someday they'll also end up, you know, on my, on the page. Well, you know, for what it's worth, I'm going to continue down the healing uh, path, you know, with future How to Heal Our Lives books. And, you know, I think that would be something for you to think about, too, because, I mean, the issues are not going to go away anytime right. soon, right, unfortunately. And we all know that our society is in deeper need for healing now than what at least I can remember ever seeing it in my life. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. There is a lot of need and a lot of, I, I have 
I've really, I've never felt so confident that the need for what that book, the, the topic that I'm writing about, and I guess, like I would have said with White Picket Fences, that we needed to be having a conversation about race and class and privilege. I mean, and again, it came out in 2018. So that was like pre-COVID, pre-George Floyd, right? But still, I would have said we need to talk about this, but we don't want to. Whereas I think right now we are in a place where it's not just like we need to talk about and experience healing, but we like are desperate for that. And that's true both on a personal and a social level. I hear it. I mean, every day in some capacity. And so, you know, I don't mean to say my book will solve all the problems of our society, but I do hope it really will be a catalyst for some of that work uh, so that people can begin to have an encounter really with the love of God that is transformative for our own understanding of ourselves. And then bringing, I mean, there's that, um, that saying hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the flip is true. I mean, you wouldn't quite say healed people heal people. Cause I'm not sure that we are all, you know, we're never healed entirely. And, but that sense of healing brings healing, yes, right? Yes. That when we are experiencing healing, we are also able to be gracious to other people. We are able to see um, the belovedness of other people. We're able to move in the world in a different way. Absolutely. So that is my hope and prayer, you know, that healing um, brings more healing. Amen. Amen. So um, again, the title of Amy Julia's new book is To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. It'll release on March 15th, and you can learn more at amyjuliabecker.com. So Amy Julia, as always, it's such a pleasure to have a conversation with you. I really appreciate your work. Um, Thank you for sharing everything with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun.